This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that has to work harder to cheer you all up after a defeat. This week on Heart and Hand, not sure we're going to be able to do it. Okay, folks, welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I am your host, and I am joined this week by pod stalwart, Mr. Alex Staff. Good evening, David. How are you doing? And making his debut on the flagship show after a very promising performance on his show, The Time Capsule, on our Patreon subscription service, is Martin Ramsey. Good evening, Martin. Good evening, gents. How are we? Oh, we're grand. Are you ready to McCrory it right up? I'll do my best. Now, let's uh, start with the defeat. And I mentioned there in the in the opening remarks about how it was a tough one. And, and you know, we've had some real bad ones, 5-1 against Celtic, etc. And, you know, further back, losing to part-timers, etc. But I, I don't know, Saturday was kind of gutting simply because, uh, Alex, I thought we threw it away. And that, that's what really hurts. Yeah, it was, it was disappointing in that respect. Um, rather than... Rather than anger or anything like that, you know, rather than this Johnson performance earlier this yes. season, for example, yes. um, which was just you know a capitulation. This was this game was right there for the taking. Um, I worked with a Hibs fan who was discussing it today, and he said the minute it went one each, and you could hear the way iBooks was rocking, he thought game was over. He thought they were going to lose, um, and I, I'd imagine everybody in the stadium felt the same way. You know, the Rangers were going to go in and win that. So, so yeah, that's that's just made it all the more eh, gutting, really. Martin, going into the match, I'll describe the match first of all. I'm sure most of our listeners will have heard it, but for anyone who have seen it, but for anyone who hasn't, 
First half, Rangers are dominated. There's no point trying to deny it. Hibs totally win the midfield battle. From that, they make a number of chances and some, some good opportunities. However, Rangers do have a good opportunity, although it's really two chances that comes from one good attack. When Josh Windass is put, put through, his shot is saved uh, on the rebound, eventually comes to Jamie Murphy, uh, and his shot is blocked. After that, it looks as though maybe we've we've ridden it out and we'll get to half time and can make changes. But then John McGinn's allowed to run thirty yards unchallenged with the ball and smash one into the bottom corner. Uh, I, I'd probably like to talk about Wes and his long shots here as well, lads. So uh, bear that in mind; that'll be coming up as well. But then into the second half, complete change around, and within the first five minutes, Rangers uh, suddenly have made more more opportunities in the first five minutes of the second half than they did in the whole of the first, and really grasp the game, take it to Hibs. Hibs midfield, much vaunted midfield, completely taken out of the match by Rangers. And Rangers eventually get back into it with a, a well-taken goal, a free kick from Sean Goss, which hits the bar, comes down, um, and then goes in off the keeper. And at that point, Alex alluded to it, Ibrox is absolutely rocking. Rangers look set for the victory. I certainly believed we were going to go on and win it, and I don't think, as Alex mentioned, anyone in the stadium would have argued with me. However, uh, moments after we do that, we then leave ourselves very open on the uh, our right-hand side. Eventually, the ball finds its way to Scott Allen in the box, and uh, what can only be described as a rush of blood. Uh, James Tavernier puts two hands on him. I think Shove would be maybe putting it a bit too far, but he does certainly go into him and put two hands on his back. Allen, of course, goes down. Penalty is awarded. Uh, it's put away, Wes almost gets to it, well, gets to it but doesn't keep it out, uh, a bit unlucky there. And after that, the, the air goes out of the stadium, Martin, and we don't look like getting back into it. Now, first things first, within the opening 45, we were really badly bossed in that midfield, and I'm very disappointed because if you ask anybody with a working knowledge of Scottish football, Hibs strength, they will tell you they have a good midfield, they have a better midfield than most clubs at their level would normally have. We didn't really do anything to combat that in that opening spell. We didn't. Um, the overriding sense that I had leaving the stadium was just frustration. Uh, things can happen in football games that are completely um, out of the blue. You can't legislate for most of the time you get away with these things. Tav's um, decision at the end, uh, clearly one that we didn't. But there was there was something we all knew. I mean, these these weren't football experts. Everyone was talking about this pre-game. Um, that I mean, we've seen in August, two against three. Um, their three um, is a problem. I mean, we don't have some of the more defensive midfield um, options that we would ideally have because of injury. Even more so then, uh, a reason just to go with numbers. Um, but... I still expected to win the game just because our attacking options are better and, and hopefully that, that can still do but it was it was it was a concern going into it and you you've given you've given the initiative away right away because that means I know Alex and I have briefly discussed this on Twitter last night. We've conceded that advantage. They I don't think they've pushed back the second half. I think they've made a reasonably conscious decision to just to fill in and say, Well, you know, try and get through this and I'm not entirely sure we, we created any clear-cut chances either. There's a lot of um, shots from just outside the box, maybe just inside, uh, and it was a kind of frustrating afternoon, even though we were seeing more of the ball. Um, but we gave away that impetus right from the start, which we all knew was a problem, or a potential problem, and there's things you can plan for, and there's things you can't, and it, it was just disappointing that we 
hindsight, yeah, uh, is 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 a is a thing in most times, but but not the other. This isn't a hindsight issue. And you've no. said on Twitter, I think everyone has said, right, fine, you go with the start of living that you you seem to trust. But after twenty minutes, it's obvious you need to make a change. Um, and the, the the average positions that that the players took up on the park would 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 show. I mean, Holt and Goss are almost standing on top of each other in the centre circle, and there's no one around them in a blue shirt. Windass is not that far away from Morelos. Uh, um, and we just we just gave that initiative away, which is the most disappointing thing. Alex, you're a long-term advocate of in modern football. It's very difficult to play the kind of four-four-two or a version of it because you, most teams these days find a way to get three into that engine room. And if we don't, we quite often, even at home, especially at home, lose that battle. So, with that in mind, what was the thinking? Because Martin touched on it there. What do you think the thinking is that we don't have Ross McCrory, we don't have Ryan Jack, are naturally defensive-minded central midfielders. So we do have Jason Holt, who has his qualities and has been playing well, but isn't a naturally defensive-minded player. We have Sean Goss next to him, who, although he would play in that deeper role, looks to me more of a kind of playmaker type, a quarterback if you like, who can make passes and, and take the ball from the defence, which is obviously useful when you've got guys like Bates and Martin who I think are good defenders but but clearly not good good footballers in inverted comma in terms of their ability on the ball it left us really short against a Hibs midfield that was quite ready to exploit it and did so. The thinking was something along the lines of, of the Aberdeen game, yeah. I don't think. I mean, I I, I done the the kind of pre-match analysis pod, obviously on Patreon, uh, without the knowledge that Hibs had the injuries that they had, but I still didn't expect them to line up in the formation that they did. And then after six minutes, they changed it again. The injury to Brandon Barker meant that McGinn moved out wide, and they brought on another forwards. So the biggest difference there was it was a similar similar kind of battle as the Aberdeen game. You had the, the central midfielders. You know, almost like two v two there. Then we had Windass beyond ours, and they had Scott Allen beyond theirs. The difference was they had two forwards on the park, so we didn't have a spare centre half to go and step in from time to time, or you know, full in the knowledge that the covers there, so it's not so bad if Scott Allen's got a little bit of space because there's no pass on for him going forward. We just kind of we didn't play as well as we could have. They were dominating the ball, and then they had those options up front. And in many ways, Scott Allen was being, as they say, cheating as well. You know, he wasn't. He had no intention of tracking back or anything like that. That wasn't his game. Um, he was almost playing like a third forward at times. So, yeah, they sort of they caught him out. But I, I still believe, and I, I don't, I don't like to sound childish for this. I still think it was somewhat lucky that they got the injuries that they did to force them into that shape. I don't think Neil Lennon would have played that way if he had a fully fit squad. Well, that you can, I would say, more happy accident if I was to be charitable there, which does not come naturally when it concerns him. Yeah. But the fact is, is that however they ended up there, it was pretty apparent twenty minutes in that they had, and yet Graham Murphy didn't make any changes, and it's a concern because it, it, I'll start with Martin, but I will come back to you, Alex, on it. This is not the first time he's been accused of taking too long to make no. decisions. And I don't think it's a case of he doesn't know what to do. I don't believe that for a second. I think that's far too simplistic, right? He doesn't get to where he is in football without that knowledge. So so let's just completely disregard that. It's, it's not true. 
But I do wonder if he's the type of guy who thinks, to to use a, a great description, at the moment we're maybe we've rolled a three, and if I make a change, we could roll a six, but I could also roll a one with it. And he tends to hedge his bets. And that conservatism, arch conservatism, I don't know if it's compatible with a team who have to win every match, essentially. No, I mean, he's, he certainly is cautious. I, I think there, there might be an issue with uh, just the faith he has in, in these, these particular players. Windass being uh, a, a, a prime example. Um, I can understand the pull he would have getting into this game to play the same team the same way. Um, the Aberdeen game still quite fresh. There's a real buoyancy about the, the place at the moment. Um, but a stronger manager says to Windass, even with his hat-trick on on Wednesday night, this isn't the game for you to start. We know how this three operate, and, and Alex makes a fair point about where there the, are the other players in the park, but we know that three against two against Hibs is a big risk. And we need someone in there um, that, that's going to do a job that the, he can't do. I just wonder if there's just too much faith in this group of players, because he doesn't seem to, to want to change it too much at all. I mean, the, the game at Parkhead before the break was, was the prime example. I mean, I don't know how Cranshaw lasted um, into the second half, never mind nearly 70 minutes. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. He's, he's not um, he's not a dynamic coach and the job is huge and he's he's never been a permanent manager before either and these are all I'm sure we'll come to when we look at his kind of overall record and kind of where we're going with it. But it's one of those things that you need to be the boss because you're not guaranteed next week in this job. No. Alex, uh, as Martin says, Hibs sit back a little bit. Rangers take advantage. Uh, having watched the game back, I know what he's saying, that we didn't make many out-and-out clear-cut chances, but we did have several several good opportunities uh, to do so. And this is something that I think that we talk about in different guises and have done all season and there are two examples of it if you like two categories of it and that's the team's decision making we get into some great attacking positions regularly but we we quite often don't make the most of them be it by picking out the wrong ball be it by wanting an extra touch be it by the delayed decisions rather than execution and then the the thing that decided the game James Tavernier a bad decision. First of all, he he's out of position um, where he should be on a when the ball breaks down, and we are absolutely appalling at transition. Sorry to be all wanky and tactical, but we really are, especially for a team that that occasionally prides itself on its ability to counter attack. Um, and when he's gone out of position, he he's panicked a little bit, ran back, and of course. You know, has as you say, as you put it, the the brain fart, and it's a penalty, and boom, as we know, that it peters out after that. This is something that happens so often, and we never seem to do or see much evidence of it being addressed. I'm, I'm trying to think of it from a, a management perspective. Addressing it's not easy because. It's not as if you know you're telling players to make these mistakes. You know, so they're not being coached to do that. They'll be told, you know, what the best thing is to do. They'll could train and could go on the training ground and practice all day long. But ultimately, in a game, all of that, you know, goes out the window. 
Um, should it go with? Are... Should it with professional? <clears throat> what's the point of training if, if you're not training to learn? Then surely would you? You'd be as well just doing laps around Murray Park, and we don't need to bother with coaches. Almost, yeah. Some guys will train to learn, but you know, once you get to a certain age, your your learning comes through games rather than, than training. You know. Um, the experience and, and, such, and such like and, and you know learning from that I get that but these are not kids that are constantly doing it that you know these are guys who've got 100, 200, 300 games under their belt they do yeah so they've got a plateau of ability then so yeah. you know that might be that might be the bigger issue you know um, that it's interesting that you say it actually because it's one of these things that I've noticed in the past few years and I, I, I do just put it down to ability the amount of times you would watch old games and you would see goals scored where you know one of our strikers is running through and they just square the ball across the midfield or running in for a tap in that used to be a pretty common goal for us it doesn't happen very often anymore no you know it doesn't um, it's like a I can't explain why because even teams it wasn't as though teams are you know are more defensive now than they were against us when we were much better definitely not I would say it was the but, opposite yeah yeah exactly teams are probably having a bit more of a go at us in general yeah that sort of goal which was a pretty common one in the past hasn't been scored as often anymore and it just feels like I just I can't help but think it's just a quality issue you know it's just these guys just aren't as good so you know their decision making isn't as good and and that, that may, it might just be that you know it's difficult to some of these guys as you say they've been training for years as a kid and you know they've played 200-300 games if they've not learned it now it might not be something they'll ever really learn so it's interesting to see I, I, I think it's a mixture I think it's ability and, and for some of them you know for some of the younger guys some of the guys who are still learning their craft there's just that kind of experience issue you know like a Morelos for example mm. is still really learning the game up there um, in, in that position so I think that you know in his, his case it could be that whereas for some others it's just you know they're, they're just not going to get there Martin you identified something earlier that I think is a cracking point which is 20 minutes in everyone laymen in the, the, in the stands have identified what's going wrong here or, can see, or rather can see clearly what's going wrong here and yet we all know that no changes will be forthcoming until half-time at, at the earliest. And with Graham Murty, it generally tends to be around the 70th minute. What is this weird convention in football that says you cannot make a substitution in 20 minutes because, oh, well, you, you wreck the guy's confidence? But surely if, if it's the manager who's made the mistake and holds his hands up after it and said, I picked the wrong side, or... As Alex has said, Hibs were forced into a change, but that then meant we had to make a change. But they just seem, all of them seem to go, no, we we muddle through, this is what we do. To the point that whenever a manager does do it, it becomes this huge talking point. And I find it really bizarre. Yeah, um, there might be an ego thing there that no 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 this is this is the plan I've got I'm going to stick with it um, there could just be that, that paralysis of fear that you were talking about about rolling the dice earlier and well yeah it could work but it, it might get worse um, and it's it, it comes down to management just not not taking responsibility for the way that the game's the game's going and being big enough you, you, you said it shouldn't be on the player it should be you know it should be where the buck stops um, uh, and saying well, you, that this is how we set up but clearly things had gone a different way 
I made a decision and, and it was it was understandable. I can justify that decision. No guarantees that these things work out, but it's just been able to justify why you take decisions at the, uh, at the time. But it, it's back to decision-making and, and, and Murray is, is a, an example of that just as much as, uh, as the players you're talking about before. Um, you know, Morelos, for example, he clearly his body language would indicate he really beats himself up when he, he, he makes the wrong decision or, yeah. or doesn't execute the skills that he naturally has while doing training all week. Um, and it's because this this environment, this club in this particular time, still a wee bit artificial, um, that it, 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 it can be crippling. And just in terms of people being under pressure, still being able to execute the decisions that in the cold light of day they, they, would, they would normally do. Alex, I've seen this brilliantly described by someone as if a robot was to ping a ball with uh, a tennis ball with extreme force at Wes from two yards, I'd bet on him <laughs> to keep it out. But if someone was to roll Neil Lennon from the halfway line, I think it would beat him. What is this weird thing with him where he is so good at shot stopping from close distance where... He, there's some saves he makes you think he'd no right to, to get on that and one-on-ones he's terrific and yet he does seem to be beaten consistently from outside the box and they're not all world-class strikes we're not that unlucky uh, <clears throat> saying that I don't think it's too often you can say oh he's made an absolute howler there you know we can look at it and think for some of them you think he could have done better you know, I don't think it's been too often where you've looked at it and went, Jesus, that was terrible. No, um, no, but, but, but you it's... You know, a, it's, it's, it's but, this kind of fine line, you know? But it's a regularly I, identifiable thing that keeps happening. I, I've moaned on here before. I think he gets his, his starting position wrong quite a lot. And that's why when at the, the, the long shots in the box in the, the middle of a melee or when he sees somebody coming in, I think he sets himself very well. But I think that his concentration kind of wanders a wee bit when, yeah. when the game's further out. Uh, but Saturday, I, I do have a wee bit of blame for him because he's time to get into the right position. And we can talk about, you know, there's no way McGinn should have been allowed to run as far as he was. But he, he can see that happening. And yet, I think he sticks in the wrong place and he invites that shot into the, low, uh, uh, into the faraway corner, where realistically it's probably going anyway. And yet, doesn't get across, doesn't even get near to it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's difficult. I mean, I still rate him as, as a goalkeeper, but I do, I do take this point. He does seem to to have a weakness here, and you only need to look at even even sheer statistics will tell you that. You know, we're one of the one of the higher teams in the league for letting in goals from outside the box. So, so there's something going on. Um, and as you say, it's not as if he's just getting beat by world class strikes all the time. I just think that you know he's not making howlers with him. I think I don't know. You, but starting positions are good. A good one to bring up. I sometimes feel as though he doesn't move his feet quickly enough. Yeah, I don't know if you guys get that at yes, all totally. from it. Um, sometimes I feel as though he, he takes a dive quite early, right? whereas he, he probably you know, a bit quicker feet could have had that extra step. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, guys. Is this not just back to what we've, we've <laughs> talked about for the past five minutes? When some of our players have got that two or three seconds to think about what they're doing. The, the, there's there's mistakes, but yes. when there's no time to think about anything, and, and the ball, like the Aberdeen game at the end, when it's it's like a a, a pinball machine, he is he's no time to think about it, and he just reacts. He just does his job, and he, he he's very good at that. But again, add a few more seconds into that, 
there's there's a bit of panic. Yeah, it's almost like if there's a space for them to make a mistake, if there's a time for them to make a mistake, they do. If there isn't, they don't. And as you say, when they're, they're playing on instinct and they execute it really well, they, they, they do. It's just something that frustrates me because he's such a good goalkeeper and, and he does make so many great stops and then you see him get beaten by, by these shots that I do think are saveable, Alex. That's the thing I do. I think you can get to them. And Possibly. Uh, yeah, 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 some of them, look, some of them no. But some of them, yeah, I mean, this is not the first time this season I've looked at a goal going in and thought, he could have he done better there. Here, here's a question just, just off, the, off the top of your head because you've got me thinking about them now. How many of those shots that you've looked at and thought he could have done better have been low or across the ground? All of them. Yeah, pretty much pretty all much of them. Pretty much all of them, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much You know, off them. the top of my head, I can't think of, you know, if someone pings one towards the top corner, we've seen them make... Yeah, some great saves from distance, but the ones that are drilled low to either side, yeah, yeah, seem to cause them a bit more issue. So, is it? I mean, I don't know. I, I, is that a high issue here? Are we talking about someone who isn't quick enough at getting down? Well, sometimes I think, yeah, that? but sometimes I think that that the the height issue goes the other way, and that I, I used to think that Boric was particularly bad for this. And he's what six four, six five. Joe Hart, I yeah. think, is particularly bad for this, and he's the same. So I don't know why him being that bit shorter would would be an issue. But, yeah, but yeah, but, but, you, but I think you've identified absolutely the weakness, which is low shots into the corner. And again, though, it's it's not one mistake. Very little in football happens. Even the you know the the Tav penalty incident comes by people being in the wrong position, people making the wrong decisions and again if you've got a goalkeeper who's susceptible to low shots, don't let guys run 30 yards and hit a shot unchallenged seems yeah. seems to be a good way of dealing with that Yeah, I think I, I personally have the opinion that, that that's came from you, we've, we've actually all, we've all mentioned that you mentioned earlier um, we're, we're not very good in the transition defensively um, I was talking about you know hip formation men that are centre-halves couldn't step forward because they had the two pacey forwards up against them. So it was up to our midfielders to kind of cover those gaps in front of them. And that's where this has came from. Uh, and, you know, and as Martin said as well, it's just that there was that, you know, softness in midfield between between Holt and Goss in, in some respects um, and, you know, a lack of numbers as well. So I think McGinn's goals came from a combination of all of that. It's taken a bad bounce for Candice. So he lost out in the ball. McGinn's driving away. He's like, as much as we all hate him and think he's overrated, he is a good player. He is a good player. Uh, I, I've never said he wasn't a good player. I just don't think yeah, he's, he's as good. He's a good, good. player. I don't, he's not as good as, as some people make him out yeah. to be, but he's a good player. And I think he should have moved on from Hibs by now and extended his, you know, taken a bit of cha- bigger challenge, sorry, and, you know, he would kick on even more. But, uh, you know, he, he's driving away and you can see it. And, uh, you know, when you look back at it, Holton Goss are struggling to get back to him. Now, normally what you would look for then is a centre-half to step out and try and block that shot. But with Hibs having the two up top, they weren't able to do that. They're just backing off because any one of them steps out and it's a simple pass in behind them. Mm. So, so yeah, it was a kind of mixture of everything. Um, I, just one thing I'd like to slightly disagree on, guys, from, from earlier in terms of, yeah, it wasn't a great first half and, yeah, Hibs were better. It's taking that goal to break us down. So... You know, it's taking that goal to go in one nil ahead, and then we've come out with exactly the same player second half. I don't think they've sat in. I think we've just became a hell of a lot better. 
I do, and I think he needed to sign. I think Hibbs played really well in the first half, and I think that is something that you know you you do need to be honest about and say it wasn't like we were awful. And see, St. Johnson again is such a good comparison because I don't think St. Johnson had to be exceptional to beat us that day. I think that they they just had to be kind of six, seven out of ten right across the park. Whereas I thought Hibs in the first half were excellent, couldn't maintain it, and that's one of the other reasons I criticise McGinn, um, is that he, you know, he couldn't maintain that standard the whole 90 minutes, and we then took advantage, the crowd got on, and I think the mentality of any team at Ibrox who are not Celtic, which is, well, right, you know, here they come kind of thing, we, we need to hold on. So all of that is valid, but Martin... We've we've gone through a lot of kind of tactical breaking it down, quite granular look at it. Let's now go with a big swinging, big brush approach to this. Are we far too frilly? Are we far too nice and too easy to play against? Possibly, um, and you would call for someone who likes a tackle, um, but then they get sent off. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then we go down to ten men. You're right. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you're asking for you know us to have a Sunnis or a Harlock or, or or whatever in there, um, we uh, we tend not to keep those players on the park when maybe other teams have their own version of that and and they they, they get away with that for quite a while. Um, yeah, possibly. Uh, I always kind of cringe a wee bit when it's, it's the kind of Scottish reaction. Really, we need to be tougher and um, yeah, we we could have just. Set up a wee bit smarter on Saturday. That that's it. Against Aberdeen, it's absolutely fine. Against most teams, it should be fine because we've got better attacking options than most teams do. Um, it just needed a wee bit, uh, a wee bit more nose, I think, rather than than anyone absolutely charging into tackles. We maybe lacked a bit of intensity in the first half that we we've showed in in, in recent games, and we showed that in the second half and. We might have to disagree or agree to disagree as to you know, whether we pinned them back or they, they they took that kind of conscious decision to um, try and hit us in the break and, and see if they could break break that down. But nah, it's, it's probably fair enough. But uh, we tend not to to get away with it when we, we we do have players like Jack who I don't know how many games he missed for suspension. Yeah, and uh, of course, infamously didn't deserve uh, literally half of them. Now we of course like to praise people when they do well and we criticise them when they don't and I know that, that some people feel that with football fans it's, that makes us fickle, it doesn't it's just I think being consistent I think you know if, if someone does well but then on, on here we will say that week didn't they do really really well and praise them and in a week that they do badly then we're going to look at it from a different angle and personally I don't find that in any way uh, in any way strange or odd or fickle I think it's just you know as facts change your opinion is allowed to change and we like to we like to chat about it so with that in mind Graham Murty who we have been praising lately um, and I think you know deservedly so but after the match on Saturday you view it through a different prism and a point that was put to me by, by my old friend Sir Duncan Ferguson was that he now has seven defeats in 19 league matches now that's over his two spells, okay? So so we do need to bear that in mind. But he has seven defeats now in nineteen league matches. He has seven defeats in twenty two matches overall. Pedro, who we all I think pretty much by the end agreed it was time to get rid of, had seven defeats in twenty six. And we were all this guy's a fraud, get him out. 
Dunk asks, and I think I would like to talk about this, and I'll kick off with you first, Martin. Why is Graham Murty therefore seen as a credible managerial appointment when Kishinya, who I don't think anyone would argue should still be here, was effectively chased for a similar, if not slightly better, record? Um, optics for a start. Um, Coutinho was a mental case, clearly, and he was setting the place on fire um, as he um, struggled with a lot of that. Um, Marty hasn't lost to Celtic. He hasn't lost 5-1 to Celtic. He hasn't lost to Progress. Uh, and these defeats, um, they count for double. Um, <laughs> the eyes of some supporters. Um, I'm not entirely sure how consistent the feeling is, either amongst the support or the boardroom, that this is a credible permanent appointment. Um, I think we know the short to medium term uh, position we're going to have him for the end of the season. Um, and if that means that it buys the board some kind of time to really get this right in the summer, then uh, most of us are fine with that. I think what's changed on Saturday was, up until then, there was a clear pattern with, with Murray's results. Good against good teams. Um, and pretty dreadful against the rest um, and he seemed able to uh, almost conduct the electricity that these games, these big games naturally produce and just kind of keep that in a kind of nice optimum bubble that players weren't going over the top and they weren't going within themselves, they just managed to motivate players very well using the natural energy of these bigger games he seemed completely unable to create that natural energy for the, the other games when Ibrook sits back and goes well when you go, entertain us and, and, and do your job. Um, so there's a clear defined pattern there that if we could get that natural energy going, uh, or create that, that new energy and it doesn't get produced naturally, then then maybe maybe you never know. Maybe there, there, there's something in there. Um, Saturday's kind of burst that bubble a wee bit. It might just be a temporary setback and we'll, we'll find out. But I think we're in a slightly different situation. We don't have a permanent manager thinking, geez, we need to push the button on this guy. We have a, there's a fixed term contract really there, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think we're all working within that prism. Is that fair? I think so. And, and before anyone jumps on us listening to this, say, oh, you know, back the team and, you know, you, you were saying this guy was great two weeks ago. It's a discussion show and we're just having the, a discussion um, just about Marty's because. I think, you know, as results are going well, you do begin to think, well, maybe this guy could do this job permanently. And I don't think that's wrong because after, you know, thoroughly good win against Aberdeen, after gotten out an away trip where we hadn't looked like doing that in a lot of matches, had he won this game, I think it's perfectly credible to start thinking. And again, I do think, Alex, we're still in, and will be for a while, a game-to-game basis at the moment because... Such have been the results over the past 18 months. Martin made a good point there in terms of you know the difference between the bigger games as such and the normal games. Um, it's a bit it's a bit disrespectful, I guess, but you know there's a good reason for calling them that. And this is the first of the bigger games where you can turn around and say it didn't work for Murray. But I would suggest, and I don't know if you guys would agree, I would say we played better against Hibs and lost than we did at Easter Road when we won 100% agree yeah we did we did yeah so I've never been totally swayed by results and I do understand that sounds a bit daft a little Um, bit I'm not going to lie to you Alex 
I'm not totally swayed by them. And that's why I was just disappointed on, on Saturday. Uh, because, you know, if you were to take a neutral point of view, and I don't believe you should ever view football from a neutral point of view, <laughs> uh, personally. I don't, I don't believe that. Even if you're watching a game that you have no real affinity for those two teams, if you're anything like me, you'll be 10 minutes into that game and something will have made you want a certain team to win. You know? Because football is an emotional sport that way while you're watching and I don't think you can really watch just switched off you know mm. um, but if there was a neutral point of view on Saturday Saturday was a good game of football decided by a moment of madness and I, I just came away disappointed because uh, of all the things we've talked about it felt as though we let them off the hook at a time when you know we'd done a great job to turn things around in that second half and all of that's overshadowed by the result I still feel as though it was positive to take from it. I think that, you know, with relation to Graham Murray's record, this was his first defeat in a bigger match. That record was never going to stay forever, you know? Beating Aberdeen three times, drawing twice for Celtic, he'd already beat Hibs and Hearts as well. He was bent to lose one of them at one point, wasn't he? Mm. So. No, I mean, we've we seen title winning Rangers teams lose 3 0 at home at Hibs. In isolation, these games can happen. Um, yeah. You're right, it was decided by. Well, it was finally decided by a moment of madness. I think it might be fair to say that if we had have started in maybe a, 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 a smarter way, we could have taken the, the initiative of the game, or we'd have a better chance of taking the initiative of the game um, right from right from the top. But the one-off game, no. Um, I think we're still going to have to wait and see what happens over the next uh, wee while. And tomorrow's game is... Exactly one of those that, that, that we're going to find really tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess that I actually spoke to David about this after the, the post-match pod on Saturday. We're quite prone, I think all fans of other teams do this. If we were to watch, earlier in the season when we watched Hearts beat Celtic, for example, we were quite happy to say Hearts played really well. If they do that to us, we will say Rangers were absolutely shite. Well, of course, because that's... Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not saying that's you know that's not the way it is, but you know there's an there's a, an irrational side to that, you know. Uh, yeah, but it's also rational because when I'm watching a Rangers game, I don't view the good things the opposition do. I view the the mistakes we make that allow it. And on Saturday, there was a lot of preventable mistakes, and that frustrates me. And that ties into what I'm talking about here. The thing I think with with Marty is that what he needs to have any chance to get the job permanently is a run of maybe. 10 matches where he wins 8 you know loses 2 or draws 1 loses 1 so that given the amount of time he's got left this season I think it was you that said this Alex he needs to be in that run now this defeat yeah. needs to be the one uh, and he can't really in it, which means he now needs to go on a 4-5 winning, winning streak we're in a point in history where I think if a manager wins 5 games in a row they get in the Hall of Fame <laughs> not far off it yeah. To be fair, every, everybody gets in, everybody gets in the Hall of Fame eventually now. The, the because because <laughs> of the dinners, you know. The I think uh, soon enough we'll be seeing Eric Ferguson being inducted and <laughs> Andy <laughs> Bruce. Yeah, I think uh, soon enough to to go in. Um, okay, let's well, you know, Martin Martin took us on it. We have a big game tomorrow night uh, away to Partick Thistle. We have struggled there this season, Martin, with uh, a 3-1 cup win, but after the extra time, and a 2 each league draw. So this is not going to be a cakewalk, 
But when you look at the respective sides, Rangers should absolutely still be coming away from there with three points. We should. I mean, I'm not going tomorrow, so so we will be comfortable because I've sat through some of those um, recent dodges and it's been really, really hard. Um, and it's just that typical Scottish league away game. I mean, that that's life as as a Rangers manager and, and probably a Celtic manager as well. That they they're going to sit in five at the back. I think um, <laughs> it's going to be a real test of. Um, a real test for him, given given Saturday, does he change? Does he need to change for this game? Because this doesn't probably need um, uh, to flood the midfield the way that, that maybe Saturday did. Um, he probably, ironically, can use his trusted um, um, lineup and information certainly more tomorrow than than, than Saturday. Um, but no, it, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I think people are expecting a lot of changes, Alex. But I, I kind of echo Martin's thoughts there I don't think there will be I think you'll see I think that the team he picked on Saturday would have been fine for Tuesday I think he just got the team wrong on Saturday Potentially yeah and you're also looking at a run of games where there's not a lot of time on the training pitch at the moment you know there's game recovery one training session light one because we've got a game the next day you know it's been a little bit of a run that way so when you're talking about changes like that a lot of managers don't like to make them if they've not got a few days worth of, you know, talking about it and then sorting it out with, with the players, you know. Um, so, so there's every chance he starts with exactly the same team. I've got a feeling he'll bring Doherty in, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's for Windass. I think that as much as Murray likes Windass, he also he was rather critical of him after the Fraser Brick Cup game, and I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself on the bench tomorrow night. Um, just make us a bit more solid in the middle of the park and Doc is a good player going forward anyway I would be I, I would be surprised if Windass didn't play genuinely and for the reasons you've mentioned I think he's he's a favourite and I think he sees him as someone who even if he's not playing well can do something that might lead to a goal potentially I, I think Windass would have come off on Saturday if Candias hadn't been booked um, you know he got his book in early he'd had a couple of fouls and he just made that choice between those two. It's not, you know, we've seen him sub Windass before. I, I've just got a feeling there's there's a frustration with Murray at the moment, you know, aimed at Windass in terms of, here's what I want you to do, you're not really doing that. I can see him just benching him for this one. Um, and just a small bit of rotation that way. Bring in Greg Dockery, who will be absolutely desperate to go on that pitch. You know, he's, he must be itching to get a good run now. Um yeah, that might be about the only change I can see, though. There's just not the options in midfield to mix it up much more than that. No, um, up front, Cummings isn't sharp yet. I think that's pretty clear. He's not going to get sharp yeah. if he doesn't play. He's not, no, but we've got the Air United game at the weekend. It would probably be seen as a better opportunity for for starting them, you know? Yeah, um, Possibly, possibly. One or two changes at the absolute most, yeah. I don't expect a number of them. No, and to be honest, as I've said earlier, there were positives in the second half in the way we played. So so maybe it would, you know, continuing it w- wouldn't be so bad. I, I don't know if you guys watched or, or seen any of um, Liverpool Spurs. I did, yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Now, there was an interesting point made in that. I, I, missed, the, I missed most of the first half. 
Um, and David and I actually had a little small conversation with someone on Twitter who asked us a question because Spurs struggled or seemed to struggle a lot in the first half. As I say, I didn't see it all. But, uh, you know, Pochettino was getting a bit of stick for not changing it early and he never got a second plan. All very similar criticism as, as Murray was getting on Saturday, actually. Um, Spurs stuck with what they were doing and in the second half probably should have won the game. They were much, much better. No, they didn't. They didn't stick with what they were doing. They, they set up exactly like us, 4-2-3-1, um, and they were swamped, as predicted by many people. Um, in the second half, Ericsson's clearly far deeper. Yeah. Now, he's they far did. more ability than George Wendas to go far deeper. Any time Liverpool were um, you know, kicking out... Uh, from a, a goal kick or whatever, he's taken a far deeper position in the second half than I think he did in the first. And lo and behold, they get a grip on the second half. There's so also they, it, they did change it. There was also a physical aspect to that which surprised me, which is Spurs. I think those are the two fittest teams in England, but Spurs were fitter. Uh, Liverpool ran their legs out yep. from what I could see for and 60 that, minutes and that, that, that surprised me but yeah, there were a couple of tactical changes by Spurs. They also moved Son, who effectively was playing... Uh, much further forward, and they moved them kind of wider and deeper in the in the second half. So that you know they did make changes, but slight changes, and much the way we did as well in the second half. But it wasn't you know wholesale. It wasn't a sub or anything like that. You know, no, Which but, but I'm then, pretty sure that the Spurs fans would have been calling for. Yeah, but then again, you know they have better they have better players. You can ask yes. players, you know that you can ask Ericsson to do a different job. You can ask Son to do a different job. You can ask Dyer to do several jobs. You know they they have better players. And yeah. you add that into them tiring, them being able to bring on a guy like Wanyama, who's you know physical strength at a time when a team is tiring is is terrifying. Um, so no, I, I do get that. But well, one thing well, though, lads. I mean, let's not forget Kenny Miller's back. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, but I think sorry. The reason I brought up uh, Spurs and Liverpool was was actually in the was the after match. It was a comment that Graham Souness made, and it was somewhat off the cuff. But he was talking about you know. They didn't play well in the first half, but like any proper team, they stuck with what they were doing and they turned it round. That was, you know, his exact words. Like any proper team, they stuck with what they were doing. Uh, and I just, you know, I felt a bit sorry for some of the criticism Murray was taking during the game when, you know, it's 60 minutes and we're completely dominant and people are still screaming at him to make a change. And I'm thinking, well, to be honest, things are going right here, but just not got the goal yet, you know? Um, so, you know, I can take... They absolutely take the, the points about the first half not working well and the setup not going great. I think that's as much to do with the available players as it was his mistakes. You know, I think that's a pretty shared responsibility. But you know, second half he got things right and the, the changes potentially didn't work. You know, because once they went one each, I know we've given away a daft goal, but. With 15 minutes and it probably didn't work they were probably stronger before then but that's when the human element kicked in Alex and uh, I think that was a, yeah. a psychological thing at that point I think that the air completely went out of everybody and that affected the players so yeah, I don't, that, at that fair, point yeah. I don't think it's it tactics be. at that point I think it was a mentality thing and our players they, they kept going but they didn't have the verve and the belief that they'd been showing up to that point after the penalty because it's the ma- there's certain goals the manner of them the timing of them the fact that we had as I say completely shot ourselves in the foot I think badly affected them but but uh, we'll move on because we've covered that uh, quite thoroughly now so um, normally on the show we tend to avoid talking about our noisy neighbours from the east for the obvious reason that they're really irritating and not worth talking about but 
Occasionally, they, they are, of course, the masters of hypocrisy and statements that do genuinely stop you in your tracks. And this week, I thought we, we really should give mention to a couple of crackers from them. First of all, Scott Brown asserted that he was now a marked man by referees uh, after being booked at the weekend and said this was all due to Craig Levine and his comments after the recent Heart Celtic game. Martin, did you have a lot of sympathy for the um, incredibly ugly morning face jump the dyke bastard? Yeah, my heart was bleeding. Um, he, he is a poor soul. He's just playing the game, though, isn't he? Um, Levine, one manager who's willing to come out and call it as it is. I mean, he's a thug. Um, and he does get away with, with tons. Yeah, but he would probably shake him by the hand and, and give him a cuddle. But um, yeah, so he's just playing the game back and just try to put you know pressure back on referees. It, it's it's this PR mind game thing that the some people say about Mourinho that, that his um, his match day starts on the, the, the Friday afternoon when he's doing his, his presser and it's just um, it's just getting back into the minds of the referee that um, he should be allowed to do what he likes cut long Alex did you feel sympathy then because I know that you, you sometimes can see things from a different point of view did you think yeah that's that's fair enough Bruni I'm not sure to see if it's quite that different <laughs> Um, well played, no, well played. No, I don't think I, I don't think I'll have sympathy for him. Personally, I'm of the opinion this is where the referee's ability to actually say something, you know, the fact that they're not, they're completely neutered from explaining decisions or responding to criticism. Madness. But, well, this is one of the situations where this is a problem because Scott Brown's coming out and essentially saying. I'm picking up more yellow cards than I deserve. In one game. Just, one game yeah. after the comments that he says has caused it. He's picked up yeah, one, one booking. Game after it, yeah, and, you know, by all accounts, deserve his yellow cards. So, uh, you know, if referees weren't, uh, you know, or even just a representative for them was able to actually address this, I'd love somebody just to be able to put it in front of them and go, show me which yellow cards you've got this season that you didn't deserve. Yeah. Show me any one of them. Because I would doubt he would be able to point to more than two. And any player in his position picks up a couple of bookings for next to nothing, right? Mm. You know, it's like I severely doubt it, and I'd be willing to bet he wouldn't even have to do this. But I'd be willing to bet you could point to many, many challenges he hasn't been booked for that he should have been. So, you know, no, I don't. You can't have any sympathy for him, but this is part of the problem. No one's got the right to respond. It takes Craig Levine on what seems to be a cracking fishing trip at the moment. Mm. You know, winding Neil Lennon up, now winding Scott Brown up. Seems to be enjoying himself. He's laughing. Yeah, the way he was just laughing about that, you know, Neil Neil Lennon's reaction, um, really did. I almost felt myself. Almost. I know. I know. I know exactly the struggle towards Levine. Yes, I know. I know exactly (laughs) the struggle that a couple of times lately I've I've found myself warming to fucking Millhouse, and I'm like, oh (laughs) man, that this cannot be allowed to happen. What's happening to you, David? And it won't. He'll he'll try and do it to us soon. You know, because as I say, he seems to be on a bit of a mission for that. It's almost like he's almost like the cantankerous old man, isn't he? Yeah, he does. He doesn't give a fuck now. That's quite apparent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's, he's done his bit for his, he's got his Scotland job he knows he's never going to get back any any sort of heights like that so now he just thinks I'm just going to see what the fuck I want um, I think that yeah he's he's clearly winding everybody up 
Neil Wayne's not difficult to wind up. Scott Brown's not difficult to wind up. Um, and they've big time. Yes. <laughs> um, but it takes, you know, it has to take a manager to come out and say this, who's then running the line of, you know, bringing the game into disrepute, as they say. Oh, no, you don't need to worry about that. Look at Chris Boyd. That, that, doesn't, yeah, well, that, that doesn't happen anymore. The, the disrepute true, law. It went with Stuart Reagan last week, I think. Yeah, but even even an ex referee wouldn't come out and say anything about this up here. He wouldn't be yeah. allowed to. He wouldn't be given a platform to. Exactly, and this is part of the issue. I can understand protecting the referees to an extent when it comes to the you know not discussion dis- discussing decisions. I I wouldn't ask them to do it straight after a game. I think that would be unfair. But I think they should be allowed to do so with a little bit of you know here's what I thought at the time looking at it. Yeah, I made a mistake. I know that's going to piss people off, but I think that's better than just saying, do not say anything, never respond to anybody. You know? Mm. I, I don't think that works either. Especially in, I think, an, an increasingly information savvy and information being readily available age. I agree with you. I think that silence now just creates more questions. But the other thing he said, and this I did find really, really irritating, was. He said, Kilmarnock at the end were over-celebrating and in fact had celebrated like they'd won the World Cup. I don't recall Kilmarnock tying scarves onto the goalposts. I don't recall Kilmarnock bringing on uh, one of their kind of, whatever he's an ambassador, I believe they call him, child supporters onto the park and generally acting like they had won the league that day. I think Kilmarnock may have celebrated a win they were long odds to get. And it's just so Celtic, Martin. They they can give it out, but they just cannot take it. No, especially if I mean, if you carry yourself with kind of decorum um, and just, you know, if you win, um, even big games, then, well, that's, that's what you're there to do, especially when you've got the... Um, the kind of financial advantages, sporting advantages that they, they, they've had of late. Um, so when they behave the way they do about beating us, partly a new club and one in complete turmoil, um, then yeah, it, 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 it does it does stink a wee bit. Um, it, it's just a bitterness immediately after the game, though, isn't it? Um, we used to do it, if we're being honest. No, <laughs> cup, but but we're cup fans. Draws, we have to get a replay, and, and teams are you know taking a, a lap of honour. Yeah, but we're um, fans. But, we're allowed to. Fans are allowed. To, uh, fans are allowed to be a bit hypocritical. It's part of the part of the joy of the game. But I, this is, I think, a genuine attitude that emanates from there, uh, and you can see it with Rodgers as well. That they they basically think they should be allowed to do what they want, and if any club gives them anything back, they explode because they're just so not used to it. It's starting to though, isn't it? I mean, Levine um, might not be the last to, to kind of chip away at that. Um, they, they couldn't possibly have the season they had last season again. So there's going to be a, a wee bit of a wee bit of a fall, and that that just creates some some holes to poke open. And when you think you're invincible and you kid on, you haven't lost seven one as part of that that um, time of invincibility. Then yeah, it will hurt a wee bit. Alex, do you think that uh, Kilmarnock over-celebrated what I think was a pretty good win for them? Absolutely not, no. Um, I wouldn't imagine. I didn't unfortunately get to see the end of the game uh, having, because I had to leave to, to get to the Ibrox, but um, I would imagine their celebrations were pretty similar to when they beat us. They were the exactly park. the same. Um, they were know, exactly the and, same. And all we would do, I would hope, um, and Russell Martin kind of alluded to this after Saturday 
is that you know you kind of look at the celebrations, internalise that almost anger, you know, mm. and and figure that you're going to go and make up for it in the next one. And you know that that you would think that would be their response after so many good wins and so many strolling the league last season and, and still being pretty comfortable looking this season. You wouldn't think they'd need to spit the dummy at you know a one 0 defeat where they lost two players to injury inside the first twenty odd minutes, etc. You'd think a player like Brown would just be kind of insane. Wasn't it a day, but a bad luck. Maybe a wee moan about the pitch and, and move on, you know. Mm. Um, and if he's pissed off with Kilmarnock, he can smash one of their players next time he plays them and, and get away with it. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that 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 kind of sums it up. But yes, uh, there is no club in the world like Celtic when it comes to hypocrisy. I will give them that. They are out in front of anyone uh, when it comes to that as well as certain other unsavoury things that we won't talk about. Okie doke folks thank you very much for listening to us tonight. Now, uh, uh, just a a little bit of housekeeping. Firstly uh, with our show in Dunfermline we will be joined by Mr Kevin Thompson my future best friend that uh, I had when I put the tickets up, put the same amount up as we always put up for the Loudon and someone pointed out to me afterwards that this place holds more. So we have another 40 tickets for that show, which I will put up later this week. They will go on sale uh, on Thursday night at 7pm. Please be quick, because we sold out on the first night the last time. Thursday night, 7pm, they'll be on Twitter and Facebook. If you just have a look for them there, there's another 40 tickets. If you want to come on the 3rd of March to see us and Kevin Thompson uh, live in Dunfermline, and if uh, you talk to anyone who was at the show in... uh, in the loud and they'll tell you he is very much worth seeing you can do so uh if you want to hear a bit more from all of us we've all got shows uh individual shows on the patreon site alex does the the match previews and uh sales a bit close to the wind actually alex you're the closest we've came so far to being shut down which people might find surprising having heard your sober head <laughs> I, on here i would think that yeah people would be shocked but what, what i'm most shocked by is the fact that that line doesn't seem to have been brought up by anybody that listened to it yeah let, makes me wonder if anybody's actually listening no let's not draw attention <laughs> to it um martin <laughs> if you'd like to tell the people about your show the time capsule um we look back at classic rangers games through um the years we put a poll up on the site um with four games and uh, the patrons get to vote on which one they want us to do a show on um, I've got a guest with me who was at the game we look in the game uh, in a lot of detail we look at what life was like uh, around the time of the game and then hopefully um, try and place that game that team, um, those players in, in a bit of a bit of perspective So we, uh, at the week I was on was 19, uh, the game was 1988, the 5-1 against Celtic and uh, the, Ga- the Glasgow Garden Festival so it brought back a lot of a lot of memories for me in that regard but uh, if you want to come there's loads and loads of new shows there's new shows appearing every day and by that I mean new shows as well as all our, our regulars that have built up already uh, it's only one ninety nine per month uh, if you want to come in and have a listen to that we promised when we started it that we were going to look to do 20 to 25 hours extra content a month we're doing about 35 to 40 um, with more to come so there is loads and loads you never need listen to Radio Clyde again that's, that's we can promise you that if you don't like me you can listen to hours and hours of content that I'm not on. So there's something for everyone there. But if you're happy just to listen to us on the, the two weekly free shows, we are very grateful to you for doing so. And please continue to. We'll be back on Thursday with a Partick analysis and uh, a look ahead to Sunday's Cup tie at Air United. So all that remains for me to do is thank our executive producer in London, Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Miles, to thank my guests tonight at Mr Alex Staff. Thanks and cheers, gentlemen. That was great. And Mr Martin Ramsey. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back again on Thursday. Cheers. Bye. Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.